Today is uh, a big day for three people. You've heard mention of it several times about being baptised. But I just want it to be a big day for everyone. I want it to be a big day for others too. The baptism is going to be about declaring something that you guys, if you know Jesus, will want to kind of reaffirm. If you don't know Jesus, you need to hear. You need to hear. And um, we're going to talk about lives that have been transformed today. We're going to see what it's like to visibly see what it means to have your life transformed. Not your life kind of tweaked and adjusted a little bit to be a little bit more Christian, a little bit more religious, but actually a life that's transformed. Becoming a Christian is not about that, that little bit different kind of side of things. It's completely transformed. The word transform is going to feature a lot in us as a church. You know, if you're, if you're part of this church, you're going to hear we're going into a series called Transformed. Um, and also, uh, if you come and join us in the next few weeks, you're going to hear that mentioned a lot as we move into our new location. Our church has three kind of things in what we call our missional triad. There are the phrases we enjoy to say. The first thing is we want to put Christ first. He's the one that transforms, not us. And therefore, we want to see lives being transformed, transforming lives, and we want to build a community. That's what we're kind of about as a church. That's what we're aiming for. So our mission is kind of, where do you want to end up? If we end up there, known for a church that puts Christ first, that we see lives transformed, and we help build community, that would be great. They're not three separate things. They're kind of woven in to one another. So it's not just one thing or the other or the other. That's what transformation means. It means all those things happening at once. Now, I'm spending most of my work at my own company, so I, I do training and I do a lot of travelling. I'm spending most of September um, travelling around. I just got back from Malaysia, which is a real time zone shift, frankly. It is now some weird time in the morning, I think, or evening, I can't remember. Um, I'm off to Poland this afternoon, yeah, and I keep walking through these airports, and I was asking God for inspiration, and um, he did sort of say, you know, this. He wants me to talk about, have you got something good to be declared? So this is really what my message is going to be. It's going to be about, I've got to the picture slightly, took the S off, but essentially it's about good to be declared. That's what today is going to be about. It's about declaration. We're going to lead towards the three baptisms, and we want to celebrate with those that have received Jesus. We should never be tempted into that green channel, the nothing to declare channel. We want to be into the good to declare channel, yeah, but nothing to really declare. But this is a declaration day. It's going to say something, hopefully, to all of us. I reached out on Facebook this week into our church. I asked people to share testimonies. I wanted to hear about how God had transformed their lives. I've done it before, and I appreciate it. Probably a little late, and many were busy, so it's too late to commit to text. But I did get some. You're going to hear a few of them today. Let me just say to the members of this church, I'll do that again when we preach around baptisms. I want to share your stories, not mine. I want to hear about what Jesus has done for you. I want people to hear what he's done for you. I can repeat over and over again. I get to the chance many times standing here to tell my story. But what about everyone else? So my challenge is we should always have something good to declare if we're in Christ Jesus. So perhaps, even though you didn't get it out this time, get it on paper anyway. Get it ready to declare how good he's been to you. Because declaring your faith is really, really, really important. It's actually mentioned in a great verse in Revelation 12. You don't know what that is. It's sort of the book about the, the, the view of the end of time, when everything comes to conclusion, and Satan is kind of called forward, and he's told about what he's done, and he's cast down. I can't wait for that day. World's in, world's in a right state, isn't it? I want to be in the world with God in control, the enemy cast down. And it says this, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb 
as Jesus Christ's blood sacrificed to wash our sins away and by the word of their testimony. Something we kind of can miss sometimes. We know about Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood is incredible. It's him that died for our sin. That's what Jesus does on the cross. He dies on the cross. He's buried. He rises again to say that I've conquered sin and death. But look in Revelation. It's really, really critical. That's what Christians believe. That's the fundamental thing. It says that was incredibly powerful and by the word of their testimony. So we overcome sin and accusation, the thing that causes us to be condemned. We do it by the blood of Jesus. That's the thing that washes away our sin. But then we need to speak it out and we declare it. So I had a great preach by a guy called John Piper on baptism. Um, I'm going to steal some of that today. He says, don't think so little of baptism. Think huge thoughts about it because of what it actually is declaring. I have to confess to you, I... You know one of those things you do, and then, then you later in life you kind of get your head around it, and you think, oh my word, I really handled that wrong. Some people in that church, when I was a young leader, were getting baptized, and my head mechanically was, listen, don't make such a big fuss about it, let's just get it done. It's kind of just a fundamental thing to get it done. But actually, I missed the fact that it's huge, you know? The water, and the mechanics, the moment of this isn't, that's kind of just like what they told people to do. As a guy I'll mention later sort of said, yeah, what should I do? Repent and be baptized. Like, okay, where's the water? Let's just do it. So that bit's the sort of mechanical part of it, but actually the significance is colossal. And I kind of just advise him, just don't panic so much, don't worry so much. It's, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's a very big deal, what it's actually declaring. It needs to be played up. The mechanics need to be played down. Sometimes it can become such a big ceremony, such a big, I can't do it, I've got to figure out, you know, I've got to invite 400 people, it becomes like a wedding. And you know, just, just do it. You know, this place is packed today because we want to celebrate, but let's not hold on for too long because it's just something we need to do. So the, the, the doing of it, the, the significance of it is underplayed. I want to play it right up today, so I'm going to rant on about it for at least another 25 minutes. Because baptism's at the core of the Christian church right in the middle we're told to do it the person we're supposed to follow is Jesus Christ he's the one you need to listen to don't listen to popcorn preachers and people who say stuff that you can't find in the Bible listen to Jesus first listen to me second this is what he says he says this as Jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you to the ends of the age. So I'm going to make three kind of fundamental points today. Wrapped in all of this is the core message, which is we have good to be declared. This is such a declaration when we go into baptism. But it doesn't stop at baptism. It's wrapped into everything I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to bring testimonies to you. They're not about baptism testimonies. You're going to hear some of that later. They're actually just the, the, life, the, the life of people who lived. You're going to hear stories from other, and you're going to hear one brief live one. Here's the first one. Kenny? Kenny wanted to share a bit of his testimony. Kenny is, again, he's a street angel, by the way. He just came off a night shift. What time is it this time? Our pastor. Our pastor this morning. See? But he wanted to share a little bit about his story, about where he came from and where he is now. Can you? Oh, anyone at the moment? Can you turn that on? Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm with his son. <laughs> Thank you, 
you go. Just try to think where to start. Keep it short, Kenny. Come on the live stream. <laughs> <laughs> short, no long sliding. Because I've done street handles last time, I actually feel like I'm putting the sack back. Because when I was about 20, I was actually going out with this girl. And one Christmas Eve, we actually split up. And she chucked out. So I slept one for one night. And through that night, I actually got quite cold. And then the next morning, there was actually someone going past. And they actually from a church, and they actually managed to take me back to their church, raise money for me to come my way back home again. So I feel like, you know, I need to put something back and give back, something back to God. And then the next thing you'd like to try for about three months, I've actually been out for work, because I've got suspended. And everyone has been praying for me, and then God's been praying to God like to actually get my job back. I've actually managed to get my job back and I'm actually starting tomorrow. Back to work. Yeah. You know, when Kenny told me that story yesterday, just I want just want to share it, because Kenny wouldn't want to particularly write it out, he just wanted to share it. He said, I was the homeless guy that we now see when we're out doing Street Angels. Street Angels are a thing that we do um, every other week where a group of us go out and uh, we basically walk the streets of Watford looking after people who are getting basically the worst for wear to make sure they don't get taken advantage of, they get home okay. Which does mean generally it all kicks off about one o'clock in the morning. Sometimes it really does kick off by the way. And we're there to help people get out of trouble, but also there's a lot of homeless people we meet out there on the streets, of course. And we talk to them, we don't kind of particularly do anything with them, we just get them a cup of tea. There's a great homeless charity in Watford called New Hope, which is amazing. So we kind of almost check that they're connected with that in some way. But he pointed out that was me once, and a church got me up, picked me up, took me up, sorted me out, cleaned me up, got me home. Where were you, by the way? I can't remember. <laughs> way on all somewhere. Yeah. So they cleaned him up, fed him, raised money, paper ticket, got him home. Here he is. He's given his life to Jesus. A life transformed. Before I read the next one, I just want to make a point here. Transform life is not about being a bad person and becoming a good person. Many Christians, me included, I would not describe myself as particularly good. It's about going from being lost, sinful, and a worshipper of myself to saved, righteous, and a worshipper of Jesus. All because of Jesus. If you think Christianity is about people who do it, do good, trying to be do-gooders, you're not quite right. If that's what you think, in reality, we will fail you fairly soon. Great line from the thing you watched yesterday. Stick around us long enough, we'll let you down soon. If that's what you think we are, that we're perfect, that we think we're perfect, that we're just a bunch of good people doing good. We're not. We were lost people who were found. We were people who were slaves to sin, we're now slaves to righteousness. We used to worship ourselves, now we worship Jesus. That's what it is. Christianity is focusing on good, but not mine. Let me start with the one that we, I used last time. I'm going to use it again because it's a powerful story, and that visitors today won't have heard it. Let the cat lady Lorraine tell you her story. <laughs> what good she has to declare and what God has done in transforming her life. This is Lorraine. She's right there if you want to see her in the flesh. <laughs> For many years I was mentally unstable, constantly self-harming, self-hating and an unhappy individual. I didn't like me or anyone else. Everything was bleak, even when sometimes things looked like they had or were improving. After many years under mental health sections, 
and on a locked, secure unit for my own safety, I became well enough to go out into the community. I was told that I would always need psychiatric help and I would no doubt end up killing myself. I moved into a small bedsit bungalow, fairly isolated and very much being careful by my mum and the medical profession. A neighbour knocked, knocked, inviting me to an over 50s club. However, because I was only 30, I didn't qualify to attend. Still makes you laugh, yeah? The lady persisted. Endless visits, chats, prayer and invites. I started to say yes to the invites and I would hide when she came to pick me up. One day I went to a social event organised by a local church. It was fun in the evening and actually everyone was friendly. Not sure what I expected but it was nothing like it. I then went to an evening event to see a gospel service by a preacher Mahesh Shavda. On arriving I instantly felt peace inside of something I'd never felt. It was strange and was warming. There was a call for salvation which much to my surprise, I responded. My walk, or hop, she wrote it on me. It started with several years of ups and downs, some downs, uh, and sometimes still in hospital admission, but not for long periods, and recovery seemed much quicker each time. Gradually, I saw less and less of a mental health service. I cannot remember the exact year, but it was approximately 14, 15 years ago, I guess now. I was totally discharged from mental health services, which was never going to happen. I gradually came off the cocktail of medication I was on under the supervision of the GP. It's been a long journey so far with lots of ups and downs, but I can look back and see what God has done, how he has changed me, given me a purpose, helped me believe in my weakness. He is my strength. Today I want to shout from the rooftop and celebrate his goodness. Truth is I would be in the grave if it wasn't for Jesus. And that love that pulled me up and out into a new life. To him be the glory. Amen. That's not the story of a church going do better. That's the story of someone's life that's been transformed by what you're going to witness today. So I'm going to move into my main message. I'm going to use a quote from Rudyard Kipling, uh, uh, a little part of a poem. I often use my training people, part of my training sort of, to train people how to coach others. And I say one of the good things to do is ask questions. And Kipling said this once in the beginning of a poem. It said this, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. So I like that principle. It's like the principle of like the thing that teaches you the most is when you ask good questions. And um, what I'll do today is I'm going to ask three questions and if I do a good job, hopefully I'll answer them. The three questions are, why do we baptise? What does baptism mean? And how do we baptise? So the first one is, is how do we, why do we baptise, sorry. So is the, it's quite simple on one level. And yet, like I said earlier, it's, it's often misunderstood as quite light and quite optional. Life is optional for, for pretty much everything in, us, in our lives now. In the West, we're just given so much choice. We just see life as a series of choices. We're spoiled for choice. We're actually spoiled by choice. And we see baptism as a choice. But let's look again for a moment. It says there, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Scripture is clever. If you stop and read it long enough and you read it properly, this is the great commission of Jesus Christ. He's our Lord. He's the guy I call my Lord. He tells me what to do. He tells you as a Christian what to do. He gives very clear instruction. He just says, Go therefore and do this. Then none of those two things you see in there, which is baptism and teaching, are optional. They are what we're supposed to do. They're what we're here to do. 
Baptism is part of becoming a disciple. So when you make disciples to become a follower of Jesus, that's what you're going to do. Jesus is commanding that when we that we baptize and we teach people about Jesus, making people disciples includes baptizing them. Just say go and make disciples of you by teaching them, and then eventually you might get around to baptizing them. They are one thing together. It's not an and or, it's an and. And I think this is where we as a church. If you're visiting this church, let me tell you a bit about us. We're probably going to struggle for quite some time in this culture. Because we do what Jesus says. We take what he says incredibly seriously. Because I call myself a Christian. That means I'm marked by him. I'm saved by him. He's my Lord. He's the one that died for me, rose again and took away my sin. I follow him so perfectly, as best I can. Follow his perfection, not me perfectly. I look to him. Whatever he says to do, I'm going to try and do it. Which takes away all the optionalism. In many things, I have to just follow him. And because we're a Christ-first church, we can be too Christ-focused for the modern palate. We're too centred on Christ. We're not centred enough on inclusion, we're not centred enough on optionalism, we're not centred enough on making people feel nice. We're too focused on Jesus. If you judge church's success on its size, that it grows exponentially, my favourite words, by the way, really, really quickly, we might not be the place for you right now, if that's what you're looking for, because we're waiting for something. I'm waiting for something. I'm waiting for something. And I'm not going to see it happen by dumbing down the gospel, by short-selling who Jesus Christ is, by blitzing up a church, to fill the 250, 300 seats we're about to move to next week. We're not planning to fill it up by any means possible. We're going to fill it up by the truth. I'm waiting, we're waiting for God to move in our nation. We're getting ready for his revival. We're getting ready for him to move, that he would engineer something, not us. We're getting ready to receive the blessing that he wants to pour out on our nation. Not some palatable message that will fill seats with some false view of what Jesus Christ is, that he becomes Lord and we take him seriously. I'm praying that Westfield gets filled up with disciples. Disciples, not churchgoers, disciples. And that God moves on our nation in such a powerful way by the Spirit that people get drawn towards that, drawn towards the truth, fed up with the fact that the truth doesn't seem to work when it isn't based around God. We've tried it for so many years now. It isn't paying off. Come to Christ. Come to Jesus. Find out about him. Drop the false idols. Come back to God. A disciple is someone who knows that. Who knows that Jesus, who Jesus is and chooses to follow him above all things. Him first. I go to the church that speaks of him. The church that focuses in on him. The church is dedicated towards him. That's what I'm hoping when you serve a Christian. I want to go to that church. Not the church that makes me feel good, that gets my foot tapping, and I'm wowed by the light system. The church that speaks of Christ. And there are churches that do that and speak of Christ, praise Jesus. But there's churches like us who might not have all that stuff, but we're Christ-centered. And sometimes talking about Christ offends people. And it causes difficulty because it says you have to account for your sin. Really? I'm not that bad a person. No. He died for that. Disciples who know Jesus know this to be true. Here's another disciple, Jenny Haydock. Nice picture, Jenny. Lovely picture, isn't it? She's the one on the left. 
She sent me this right at the moment I was talking about this particular thing. Knowing Jesus and letting Jesus transform your life. She said this around this topic. I approached Christianity desperately looking for answers to my questions about life. My sadness, my confusion, my hurt, and my continuous feeling of being lost. I'd spent, many, I'd spent my teens and early 20s sp uh, spending all my words, energy, time, and money covering up the confusion and sadness with a self-absorbed, confident, drunk, funny, fashionable girl desperate to feel accepted and loved. And I was exhausted and sadder than ever. They said that Jesus Christ was God, that he is alive and that he loved me, and that Bible, the Bible is his living word. How can that be? It doesn't make any sense. But my life didn't make sense. So I read. And as I read about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I could not believe that every word was true. And as I believed, my sadness had turned peace to peace and joy. My confusion had turned clarity into clarity and truth. Instead of feeling lost or misplaced, I understand who I am and why I'm alive. I have found my meaning of life in his life. His love for me and his humanity and his teaching and being part of this church. I even thought at first that it was a phase to help me cope. But God has changed me. I'm a new person. Where else will I go now? But he has the words of eternal life. Amen. Amen. That's a transformation of life. That's a transformation. Looking, trying to understand who Jesus is. Looking towards the Bible. And as she did that, it turned her sadness to joy. He will turn our confusion to clarity. In her case, instead of feeling lost and misplaced, I understand who I am and why I am alive. That's a transformed life. That doesn't happen through some program. That happens through finding completely who Jesus Christ is. So the next question is, why... Does baptism, what does baptism mean, sorry? It's a wedding with the power ring, I'll come to that in a minute. This is the other side of the coin, about thinking huge of baptism. And the what does it mean? The act of baptism itself is not the actual union with Christ, it's what it signifies. It doesn't do anything specifically when we go underwater, otherwise we'd be constantly getting baptised every time we went swimming. It's about the fact that that water signifies something. It's that changing relationship with God. What unites us to God is our faith in Jesus. Piper, in his talk about this person, really works. Faith unites us to Christ. Baptism symbolizes that union. And there's a bit of a trend these days of having wedding photos. I've seen it come out. And by the way, I think it's quite good fun, actually, so don't think of me as kind of a killjoy. But it's the one where the bridesmaid holds her ring out and the bridesmaids go, you know that one? It looks like this. That one, yeah? It's like that's become quite a common picture. And that sparked a trend which is quite funny because grooms will never do the same as these look. <laughs> and this was even funnier. Fantastic, alright? I want you to, to remember that picture, to remember the analogy. Because Piper used this and I thought it was really powerful. It helped me to, to see and think about what you're about to see in about half an hour's time. All these pictures make such a big fuss about the ring, the wedding ring itself. The ring is the big moment in the wedding ceremony. It is a big moment. We actually say, with this ring, I thee wed. But we don't mean this ring makes us married. This moment when I put this thing on your finger is a marriage thing. Otherwise, jewelers on a Saturday get married to about 100 people. Well, let me just put that on your hand. Oh, my word. You've got a joint bank account now. It's not, it's not like that, yeah? It's the ring is not the thing. Okay, So putting rings on fingers does not make you married. 
What weds you is the vows. What weds you is the covenant that you make, the, the thing that you declare to one another. The rings symbolize that union. Remind you of that union every time I look at my wedding ring. I declared my love to someone. I made a covenant vow with my wife. So it is with baptism. Our faith is what unites us to Jesus. Our declaration of who he is, the covenant we make with him about what we speak about who he is, our faith to our heart, what we're giving to him, that's what he is. We're united in the covenant vows and we believe this, that he died, he was buried and he rose again. And on that cross he took away our sins. Romans 6, 4 says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So when we put our faith in Jesus, we die to our old selves, we are born again into a new life, and we rise free from sin, set free from the consequences of it. We don't stop sinning, we get set free from the consequences of it. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. No one's clear of that. The Christian doesn't stop sinning. The Christian stops suffering the consequences of sin. Without Jesus, we have to pay the price in front of God. When Jesus dies, he says, I'll take it for you. I'll die on the cross to pay the price for your sin. To be free of the guilt of sin from your life is an incredible feeling. I was a good boy. I wasn't a bad person when I came to Jesus. But I knew that if I stood in front of God, I'd say, I hope he doesn't replay that videotape of my life. Some of the things I thought about that, the way I reacted to that, the way I behaved there, the way I shuffled that money here. And I was a reasonably decent guy. Suddenly the weight of my sin was suddenly revealed to me. I thought, whoa, if there is a God in the heaven and I want to get in there and I want to understand, how do I do that? Who would ever sort it out? And that's when I found out about Jesus. He's the one that sorts it out. He's the one that's going to fix it. Yeah, sin separated us from God and Jesus dies. When he dies, we die. When he's buried, we get buried. When he arose, we arise. Yeah. Baptism means we accept and acknowledge just how dead the old us actually is <coughs> and how alive the new one is in Christ is. Piper specifically, I took it straight from his um, preach. Baptism dramatically portrays what has spiritually, what happens spiritually when you receive Christ. So think about this you being baptized today. Your old self of unbelief and rebellion and idolatry died and a new you of faith and submission and, tre and treasuring Christ has come into being. That's what you confess to the world and to heaven when you are baptized. I didn't tell you this, but I'm still using your story from last time, Cat. Sorry. The Cat story is a story of this too. I've kind of cut it down a little bit, kept the headlines in because it's a great story. You want to hear a person about, well, you want to hear more about Cat, you can go to her website. She actually shared this when she spoke this summer at one of our Psalm series. But it's a powerful testimony about where she was and what it's like to be born again in Christ. This is Cat's story. What picture did I get for you? Oh, such a lovely picture. Oh, look. Oh. I've got them live right in front of me now. <laughs> I grew up believing that occult practices were normal. The supernatural was very real to me, but also terrifying. She said that during an abusive relationship, she tried using drugs, she starved herself, she drank alcohol, she self-harmed. She definitely had a self-destructive default, she said. My life had no meaning. It didn't matter to me if I lived or I died. I thought people would pity me for how ugly I felt I was. Trying to find my worth in my later teens, I danced on bars to find an alcohol addiction and ran into the arms of any man. I was the centre of attention and a party girl, but I felt very, very alone. I met Jesus trying to pick up weed in the car park. That's not right, excellent active weed, that's drugs here. Yeah. Three weeks later, I found myself stood outside a worship event, dressed up for a night out in Essex. 
But I remember clearly knowing that I wasn't alone. As I walked into the church building, the first worship song played, and I burst into tears. That's the spirit of work. I knew that I was radically loved for exactly who I was, and that Jesus had the power to overcome the broken mess that was my heart. God has never left my side. Some of my heart healed in that evening, and some I still work through. When I reflect that he loves me, I am still undone. My life has never and could never be the same. He is my greatest adventure and my greatest friend. The drug, party girl, alcoholic, etc., etc., is now that girl, or that girl, yeah? yeah? Therefore, anyone, this is Corinthians 8, 5, 17, therefore, any, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. They are a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. Finally, last bit. How do we baptize? No swimming. <laughs> As we come to the end, I want to be brief. We're going to get to the main event in a few minutes. We're going to hear from these people and we're going to go out and baptise them. We believe in this church, we believe in full immersion baptism. And we're literally going right under the water and coming back out again. Primarily because of everything I've just said. What it's actually, we're actually trying to symbolise. So we're recognising that you get buried in that water and you rise up out of it a, a new person with a new life. The Greek word actually means to dip or immerse, the word baptizo. So we feel strongly that uh, we should actually do that. And we see that in the Bible, so we want to be faithful to that. There's lots of other ways that people do baptism, but that's what we believe, that we want to absolutely, completely and utterly get you right under there if we can. We will adapt if it's not possible. In most cases, and just to confirm the three of you are going right under today. <laughs> oh yeah, we do let you back up after a minute or two. Just, just hold your breath there, Ruth, and you're right. But we believe in it. We believe... Like a story, there's a story of the Ethiopian eunuch. It's actually a story of an Ethiopian guy who, who's getting told the, the, about Jesus by Philip. And he says, I believe, what do we do now? And he stops the carriage because they're by a river. And he takes him to the river and baptizes him in a river. He does, it, so he does it full, gets you down, it's just down into the river. And it kind of reminds us that baptism is down you go and up you come. You're now born again. So like, it's not like the wedding ring. Like I say, it's not the power of the water. It's, the, it's what we're doing here. We're showing full down, up you come. Like I said, if that was baptism, you would be baptized every time you swim. It's not that. It's actually, truly, we're going to signify something. The three groups of that are going to go under the water. And that water, at that moment, is going to entomb them around them. Like Jesus was in the tomb. And then they're going to come out of the water to signify, I'm alive because he's alive. Don't get me wrong, some stuff can happen at the moment of baptism. There can be powerful things that happen. I'm not saying this is nothing, this, this isn't going to do anything. Because some people, you know, Jesus himself is baptized in a different context, but the power of God fell upon him. Things can happen at baptism moments, but it's not the predetermined. Because the main thing here is I'm just, just showing everyone what's happened. We're, we're saying, I've done, I'm making a testimony to everyone. And God can sometimes release things in that moment. But it's much more about the faith that got you to that moment. Also, we're going to ask for a confession of faith. We're going to ask them. And then we're going to say, by confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So by now, I hope we've kind of got the basics. But we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We baptize them in those three names. We baptize them because the love of the Father is suddenly made evident. That's how much he loves you, that he wants to be part of your life. Freedom of sin comes through the death of Jesus Christ. We embrace that. And the power of the Spirit is going to be poured out into your life and has been poured out into your life and will continue to be poured out into your life. He does more than just save us. He 
fathers us and he empowers us. We believe God is all three, all three things, Father, Son, and Spirit. All three matter, all three do matter, and they'll be part of the moment today. It takes all three to transform a life. Jesus saves you from your sin through the death on the cross. The Father looks after you and guides you through your life. And in the God, the Spirit, he enables and empowers you to grow and move on in power and get through the challenges that life will throw at all of us. I'm going to leave you with two extracts from two quick testimonies. They'll both be fairly short and then we're going to get on with it. I've condensed them down. This one is Gareth, the poor guy who has to hold a baby while working a mixing desk. This is a part of Gareth's testimony. This is very recent for him. Through one reason or another, and those who closely know the details, earlier this year I found myself without a home, without my family around me, and without a church. From a full life I found myself alone, sofa surfing, and wondered where God was. It was scary, heartbreaking, and quite frankly soul-destroying. I felt powerless to change what was going on around me. Previously I'd been signed off work with depression and put on antidepressants. They even doubled the doses to try and make them work, as I wasn't coping with life, and I was totally lost. Three months ago, I started to see Jesus move in my life again. I began to pray, began to see his light, and that he truly had me. Here's where I am now. New job, new flat where I can have my children over. Back in church of Christ first. Two weeks away from coming off antidepressants. I'm totally free, amazed by all he's done, and he continues to do in my life. I now can't imagine how or why I tried to do life without him. I'm in awe and adoration of the one that gave it all for me. And then still above and beyond, has continued to work in my life. Amen. Amen. Jesus can transform your life because God cares. We don't like to tell everyone that we're struggling. We don't like to tell everyone that, you know, when I go home alone and I'm having difficulty because it's just not the dumb thing anymore. But that's how I came to Christ. I was one of those guys that once said, you just so good it together. Good job, very popular, incredible looking. <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, humility, not that, very humble, <laughs> slightly delusional. No, but I had really good, but actually, truth was, no one knew that back in the back at home, I always felt quiet. Just constantly put it together. God changed that. Jesus came to my life completely different. That was 28 years ago. God is very good. He's always here. He's just asking you to put your faith in Him. For getting through the pain of suffering, for put it behind you and you can move on life. Put your faith in Jesus, die with him, and live with him. The last story is this one. This is about this. Before we do this thing, I want to share James Jade's testimony of a transformed life. Capsulates again what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, someone who follows him, how God shapes our lives, the supernatural things and the fruit that he will bring. Said this, through various trials, God has taught me how to trust in Him completely and hold steadfast through the storms. I've learned that He can turn situations around in an instant, but we also have to be patient and wait on Him. He also taught me an understanding of the joy of being shaped in the hard times. He's given me supernatural peace and faithfulness, and I know that no matter how sorry I feel, I feel for myself, how overwhelmed I am by life, or how much I feel like I'm being wrong, He has me. He's using me and he's shaping me because he loves me. And we know that in all things, God's work for the, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Amen.